Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. My guest in this episode is part of one of the great horse racing dynasties in this country, particularly here in Western Australia. We'll explore his family tree over the course of the next hour or so, but his father particularly is very well known as a former jockey, now successful trainer. Uh, My guest is one of uh, three brothers uh, who are all elite-level jockeys. Of course, uh, our guest will probably say that he's the most successful of the three brothers. Uh, He's ridden over 750 winners, uh, including a number of uh, Group 1 winners. Uh, On one occasion back in 2017, uh, he and his two brothers uh, rode winners on the same day in three different states around the country. So looking forward to hearing all about the, uh, the life of Stephen Parnham in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Stephen, welcome. Hello. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, Look, we'll get into uh, your very extensive multi-generational horse racing family uh, in due time. But really, did you have a choice whether you were going to go into horse racing or not? Was it just an absolute given that you would? Oh, look, I (laughs) guess I fell into it. I was born into it. Um, I was uh, always around it at the races when I was a young kid and having a heavily involved family um it was it was just always there for us and um in our face but it's something that I had a very um strong passion for and mm. um always wanted to be involved yeah you obviously love it you have to love it right to to want to live the lifestyle that you have to live yeah definitely yeah there's it comes with sacrifices but um i enjoy it uh the um lifestyle that you you can make a make of it and um you can you can have some success out of it, and I've been lucky in my time. Mm. Was there ever a question about whether you would maybe do something different? Um, early on, uh, I was just hoping to, I guess, have a little bit of a go at it and see where that took me. But um, yeah, there was there was that thought in my mind that you know, going into being a jockey, it was obviously um, needing a required weight to to maintain that and. You never know how your body's going to develop, and if mm. you'd be able to, you'd be able to keep that. So, I continued my schooling just to um, have something to fall back on if I needed to. Um, uh, either that, or I could go into training. But um, as it's turned out, I've been able to keep mm. going as a as a jockey for, I think, it's eighteen years now. So it's been a long time. Yeah, it has. Uh, and you're you're thirty five now. Um, I mean, is it too soon to start thinking about life beyond uh, being a competitive jockey? Um, I guess you always think about what you might do later on, but, um, that's my sole focus at the moment is just trying to improve on what, what I'm doing and, Mm. um, enjoying it. Uh, there's many factors that can, um, can cause you to need to move on and, and finish your career as a jockey. But so far, um, I've been very lucky to, to keep it continuing on. So, um, I probably have a few things to fall back on in the back of my mind, but um, at the moment, just full steam ahead, being yeah. a, a rider and um, as long as I can. 
to say that racing is in your in your blood and in your genes would be an absolute understatement. I mentioned your dad, uh, Neville, who's uh, an inductee into the WA Racing Industry Hall of Fame. That happened back in uh, 2014. Uh, as I mentioned, a jockey, but uh, more recently, uh, a trainer. What was it like growing up, um, you know, with a dad who's already so heavily entrenched in the sport? Um, what were, firstly, what was he like as a as a father? Because obviously, the discipline that you have to have to be a competitive jockey did that sort of translate across, you know, how he went about life generally and how he was as a dad to you guys. Yeah, he was a very um, hardworking man, so. He instilled that into us um, as we're growing up. You know, always do the best that you can do at your job. Don't um, do things half-hearted and um, take shortcuts. And um, mm. I guess that's put us in good stead being um, being riders. We were very thorough in our jobs. But um, our dad was – he was always there around for us. Um, he was a great dad and he still is a great dad. He's very supportive. Um, but he, he worked hard he, mm. and, he, and it was to – um, obviously build a successful career, but also provide a great family life for all of us. And um, that's probably been passed on from his dad, who who was also the same. He was a hard worker and um, passed it on to him. And uh, that's that's where he's ended up. But um, I'm very thankful to, to have mm. someone of him in my life. Yeah. Having said that, look, to, to those who are not in racing, we sort of look at that lifestyle and it, it is quite different. You, you, you're somewhat out of sync with the, the nine to five majority of the population, aren't you? I mean, you probably don't know any different because you grew up in it, but I'm imagining your dad would have been out, you know, before the sun was up most days doing track work, right? Yeah, every day, yeah. yeah. He... Which is quite unusual to, you know, <laughs> the rest of the population, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. But, um, you know, you, you build your lifestyle around that. Um, yeah. It becomes normal um, to to us now so he would be up at probably just after three o'clock in the morning yeah, that's 3 a.m yeah um and he would do the, the track work um which finishes you know around seven thirty, eight o'clock and and they'd continue at the stables um till they finish their morning mm. work but the staff would leave and dad still had more jobs to do and it would be the office work or attending to horses or, or there'd be race days on and he generally would you'd go all the way to the you know nine o'clock at 10 o'clock at night, you know, mm. he just wouldn't stop, you know? So, uh, he was very busy, but, um, I think he loves what he does and he mm. probably wouldn't change that. Forgive me if this is a stupid question, but why do you have to do track work at those ungodly hours? Why can't you do it at 11 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. It's a question I get asked all the time, <laughs> but I guess it sinks in with, with, um, like race days, you obviously have to finish your training prior to, to, um, those meetings commencing, but it's also, um, the cooler part of the day, especially in summer, um, gets very hot, you know, by seven, eight o'clock in the morning. So you want to have your horses uh, finish their training and um, tucked away back in their boxes. They they can heat up a bit when they when they do their track work. So, yeah, um, yeah winter times is probably not as fun. You know, you get <laughs> yeah. up and it's freezing cold or it's pouring with rain. So um, they're the, the, the downsides to, to the mornings. But um, yeah. all in all, I actually enjoy getting up. You get your... Your morning job done um, early, you, you get home and, uh, you know, you got the rest of the day to either, mm. you know, you got races on or you got other jobs to, to attend to. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the first time you actually jumped up on a horse. Do you remember it or were you too young to remember it? Um, we had a couple of ponies when we were younger. I, I wouldn't remember the first time I got onto a horse. I, I would have been sat on a horse when I was a baby, I guess. Um, I've seen photos. But, yeah. 
to actually ride a horse. Um, I actually didn't have a, a lot of um, desire to do it as much when I was a kid. Um, so that came later. I was more focused on my other sports and and enjoyed that. I enjoyed going and watching the races, but um, probably enjoyed doing other sports at a younger age. Yeah. Uh, there must have been a, a time, though, when you loved it, when you were sitting up there and thought, this is pretty awesome. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was um, – I watched jockeys ride and I being – being a sportsman as a, as a young kid, um, that's the athlete on top of the athlete, you know. Mm. So I I wanted to be that person. So um, I guess it was going to come to me. Um, I don't remember exactly which stage, but it it I guess got to a point where um, you know this is this is a, a chance to take take that into my uh, make a career of it and. Yeah. Um, uh, while I was still at school, I, I joined the the um, training courses to, for the apprentices and um, kickstarted off there. And I, I really was still quite inexperienced when I went to to the school there, and I fell off a few times and mm. got back on and kept trying and got better and better at riding. And uh, things went from there. It, it, I remember from the first time I got to ride a horse. It, it's surprisingly high. <laughs> like you feel like. You're higher up off the ground than you would expect, you know, from from looking from ground level. Um, it's it is a long way down, isn't it? Uh, yeah. How, how have yeah. you recovered from your falls over the years? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, you just have to get back on. I you dare know. say you were probably going a little bit quicker than I was. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. A few race falls and that haven't been too kind to of me, but um, yeah, yeah we bounce back to them. Yeah. Um, it's it becomes natural after a mm. while. People say, oh, you know, how do you jump on a horse and go that fast on it, you're crazy. But to me, I enjoy it and I don't really feel any different. I've, um, I think it's been a bit natural now. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, again, from my outside view looking in, you all seem a bit nuts to me. <laughs> that's what that's what I get told, so <laughs> perhaps we are. No, I mean, just as, as, as the lifestyle goes, it, it's, it's quite extreme in many ways, isn't it? Again, you know, getting up on those cold winter mornings at ungodly hours. Uh, to go and do virtually the same thing that you've done, you know, the day before that and the day before that and the day before that and so on, you know, and then to, to get on a horse and tear around a track at breakneck speeds, um, the the discipline you have to have on yourself in terms of, you know, weight management and keeping that competitive dry, all of that, you've, I, I just think you're all a bit nuts. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it comes in, back In the to, nicest possible yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, oh, I don't <laughs> take any offence to that. It probably comes down to... Um, what you you want to achieve out of it, um, yeah. you know, like I, I've, I'm driven by uh, wanting to be as great, great a rider as I can. So you are sacrificing a lot, you know. Like you said, there's the very early mornings, there's the weight management. You you have to be very careful um, with, you know, what you do. You need to be as fit as you possibly can. You need to keep your body healthy, uh, injury free, and um, yeah, there's certainly plenty of times in my life where I've probably had to give up on in, in going out and enjoying yeah. you know, things, especially when I was younger. Um, I I was needing to establish myself as a rider and had to sort of forgive um, opportunities to go go out and just be like a normal young kid. But mm. um, with that's come some reward, and 
I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. You know, yeah. I think you have to love what you do, and um, that's what I do. Yeah, and, and you're obviously bloody good at it because, as I mentioned, uh, 750 plus. Uh, winners that you've ridden, including a number of uh, Group 1 winners as well. So we might uh, get into some of your more memorable wins right after we take a break. Stephen Parnham, uh, champion jockey and part of the Parnham uh, and other, well, famous surnames. Racing Dynasty uh, here in WA is our special guest in this episode. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Champion jockey Stephen Parnham is our special guest in this episode. Uh, Stephen, I want to talk to you. Obviously, we don't have time to get through all of your winners because there are literally hundreds of them. Um, but tell me about your, your very first race, you know, professional competitive race. Can you remember that clearly? Yeah, definitely uh, wouldn't wouldn't be something that I would forget too soon. So um, it was a big moment for me to mm. to go into um, a race, uh, something I'd dreamt of um, from being a young kid. And uh, it was a horse called My Pass, and um, my dad trained it and started um, at a Saturday meeting at Ascot um, in October two thousand and one. And yeah. Very nervous going into it, and it was a it was a chance, and did a lot of um, homework, and tried to make no mistakes, and all yeah. that sort of thing. And uh, we uh, we got tipped off. We ran second that day, but um, I was still very really, very excited about just being out there and competing, and come away from it and try and improve on it. Is there a bit of extra pressure when you're riding one of Dad's horses? Um, does he give you a? Does it come with a, a bit more expectation? Oh. Uh, I guess you don't want to disappoint him or let him down, and uh, yeah. he's got owners and um, the likes that he's got to um, uh, deliver results for as well. So, um, but he doesn't put pressure on us. You know, he he lets us go out there and do our our job and put faith in in what we can do. But uh, at the same time, we don't like to um, do anything but our our best, um, highest standards yeah. for him. So, um, it, I. I definitely enjoy riding for him. Mm. Um, you didn't win that that particular race, your very first one. But how long was it before you you uh, managed to cross the line first? Yeah, so it was my twentieth race ride, and it was at Pinjarra, um, probably uh, maybe a month or so later. And uh, that was a horse called Noble Sheik, and um, he was he was a good old horse to me. I rode him a few times, and. Um, or many times actually, and when won a couple of races on him, a few races on him, and uh, yeah, I still remember that that ride as well. And um, he he got through along the inside and, and got up and won by short mm. margin. And um, I guess a surreal feeling at the time. You you think, oh geez, I, I've actually won a race. So um, mm. that was a moment ticked off from on my box that I'd mm. been a, a jockey and, and a winner. So that was exciting. If, again, forgive me if this is a really dumb question, but. I- Often when I hear, you know, you guys and, and, and trainers talking about the personalities of horses and how you sort of get to know the personality of a, of a horse, can you just, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, how, like, honestly, how, how complex an understanding do you get of a, of a horse's motivations and, and, and how they're going to run and how to get the best out of them? Like, how, how deep is your connection with, with the animals that you're riding? 
Yeah, you definitely build connections, um, especially the ones that you have uh, ridden more and more times. And I'm fortunate to ride some of Dad's horses' track work just about every day as well. And mm. uh, they're they're no, not dissimilar to humans. How they have their own personalities and traits and um, competitiveness and you know willingness to to race or or not to race or to cooperate and not to cooperate. So um, yeah, you get to learn. Uh, a lot about them and, and, and insight into what they do. And it, it is an advantage when you come out there race day to have that knowledge of what they are and, mm. you know, when they show up and you, you can sort of tell when they're on and ready to go. So so you'd, you'd really strategize around a horse's personality, if, if I can put it like that. Would you, would you ride a horse differently if you do know that animal well and you know how it is? motivated and, and, and what sort of techniques it might respond to? Do you do you kind of alter the way you ride to the horse that you're riding? Yeah, certain horses have different patterns, if if that's what you're saying. Um, yeah. So some horses jump out the barriers and, and want to run and go forward and uh, other horses uh, like to conserve their energy early and they've got a powerful finish. So mm. it's something that uh, you learn along the journey with the, with each horse. Um, sometimes they they show you from the beginning what they like or, or other times you they, they develop certain characteristics that you you um, establish um, as as you ride them. Yeah. Uh, tell me about then the most memorable wins. Uh, as I mentioned, there have been hundreds of them. Uh, but tell me about the, you know, the, the, the wins that you're most proud of or that really stand out in your mind. Uh, couldn't go past the Group 1 winners. Yeah. Um, playing God was my first one in, in 2010 and he come on the scene as a, a very promising three-year-old and, um, going into the Ascot Carnival, um, went, went on to win the WA Guineas in great fashion. And that, at that time was my biggest win and, and it gave me an, an enormous thrill to put, put a race like that, um, on my, credentials and he went on to um, then target the Kingston Town Stakes, which was the Group 1 race um, as a three-year-old, which they get in very well at the weights under weight for age conditions and he went into the race as favourite. Um, I'd never previously won a Group 1 and obviously in, and neither had Dad and he'd come close many times and he trained the horse and um, we were able to share the, the moment together of our first mm. Group 1 and and that was extremely special. So yeah, uh, that's pretty awesome being able to share that moment with your old man. Yeah, especially because he'd achieved so much in racing and been leading trainer mm. uh, countless times, thirteen times, I think. And he'd just been eluded from a group one, and uh, to be a part of that was was mm. extra special. And and then uh, that horse took us on a great journey, and and he went over to Melbourne. Uh, he competed at the highest level there, running some great races, and then come back and and repeated the the dose again in in two thousand and eleven and winning the Kingston Town again. And he was a bit of an underdog that day, starting at about twenty to one. And Dad, I thought, pulled out all all tricks in the book to get that horse to bounce back and uh, and win that race for us. And and that mm. that was another, like I said, they're all special, but that was another extremely great moment of my career and um and and then after that a couple of years later I was 
fortunate enough to team up with um, a horse that Fred Kersley trained called It's a Him, and, and he's still going around at the moment. And he was a three-year-old going on the scene, very similar to playing God, going through the guineas where he'd won the guineas and, mm. and into a Kingston town as a three-year-old with a lightweight. And, and he went um, went on to win the race. And then uh, after that, uh, just last year in 2019, uh, another three-year-old, three-year-old filly, um, very similar roadmap to the other three-year-old she went through. She unfortunately didn't win the guineas. She was very unlucky second, but went into the Kingston town and, and repeated the dose again. And she was probably the most challenging um, uh, moments of my career. Uh, she had only 50 kilos on her back, and as you get older, your weight tends to just creep up a little bit. And mm. and when she went from the guineas uh, looking towards the Kingston town, I had a few kilos to to t- uh, take off going into that race, and um, there was a, a big plan going into it, and I wanted to get there um, in tip-top shape and the best condition and I had great people behind me helping me along the way there. And, uh, I felt like that was the most rewarding moment of my career, even though I'd already won that race so many a times, this one come with, uh, many sacrifices, many yeah. challenges. And yeah. she was one of the chances, but there was a couple there that were presented probably better hopes than her. And, and she was able to show that she was the best one on the day. And mm. I, I remember going across that line thinking, this is just amazing. Mm. Is it like a drug? That feeling of, of winning, you just, you want it again? You want another hit? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's it's uh, hard to ex- describe really, you know, the adrenaline rush through your body at, at that moment. Um, you you never forget it. Mm. So uh, it's, it's something that you hold in your memory forever. Mm. You mentioned a minute ago having to, you know, quickly drop some weight to get into into tip-top um, weight range there. What are the sorts of things you have to do? We often hear of having to put, you know, layers of clothing on and jump in a sauna. Is that the sort of stuff that you guys still have to do? Yeah, we we generally uh, like to well, – everyone's different how they how they approach it, but um, most of us now, we generally like to get into a hot spa or a hot bath at home and, and lose the weight that way. And, yeah, they're not, not very much fun. I mean, actually, having a hot bath sounds – less unpleasant than being in a in a hot sauna. Um, I'm surprised that you can you can lose that much weight that quickly. Yeah. In a spa. But you you're talking about an uncomfortably hot spa. Yeah, you right? get the temperatures up very hot. Like spas probably get up to forty degrees and um yeah, you you break out in a sweat. You train your body to, to learn how to sweat, but um mm. you generally lose uh on average about a kilo every hour. So sometimes they're in there maybe a couple of Hours, you know, before before a race meeting, depending on what our weight is and, and how much we have to lose. But uh, yeah, winter time can be a bit more challenging because we're not out sweating in general um, mornings and that. But summertime, we can uh, we can go for a run or, mm. like you said, put some layers of clothing on and, and lose a bit of weight that that way. And sometimes sometimes we might go and do that. It might be just to break it up and, and change it a bit more. So if I sat in a not quite as hot bath for say ten hours, <laughs> so then I might be able to incorporate that into a weight loss routine for myself too. That sounds good. Thanks for the idea. Um, we need to take a break, but after that, yeah, I want to really get into just how far back uh, racing goes in the family, because I suppose to those who know uh, racing in the state, it's not just the name uh, Parnham uh, that you and your, your dad hold. It's your dad's uh, your dad's father-in-law. 
uh, was a champion jockey and trainer as well. And then it goes uh, back beyond that. So some many uh, famous names, Webster, McAuliffe, uh, just to name a couple that are all part of your lineage, which is uh, quite extraordinary. So I'll get you to explain a bit more about that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Stephen Parnham uh, is our special guest. And look, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times this great dynasty uh, that you're part of, Stephen, and I'll just run through a few of them. So your dad that I've mentioned, Neville, uh, jockey and trainer, your brothers I've mentioned as well, Brad and Chris, uh, currently uh, jockeys um, uh, competing uh, around WA and around the country. Your granddad uh, was a trainer. Your great uncle was a jockey and a trainer. Your pop, <laughs> jockey and a trainer. Uh, your uncle, a couple of uncles. Uh, inv- a great uncle and a great grandpa uh, bearing the name Ted McAuliffe. I mean, it, you often hear of those racing families and, you know, generation to generation, it just, it carries on. But um, I, I can't think of another family in this state that has that that kind of pedigree to it. Do you, you're, you're basically racing royalty yeah, there's, in WA, aren't you? I counted four generations of racing there. So yeah. there's plenty of us um, involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as I said at the start, it, it, it must have felt like this was just a, your destiny had been kind of written for you uh, to some extent. Um, I mean, do you know many of the of the legends? I mean, a lot of these people probably would have come and gone before you were even born. But um, do those legends sort of, you know, do, do they sort of funnel towards you? Do you Are you aware of, um, you know, say what, what Ted McAuliffe did back in his day? Yeah, definitely aware of him. Um, you've seen race photos on, on the walls hanging up or or you've read about them in, in some articles and it's amazing some achievements that they've been able to to get out of racing and I'm um, proud that, you know, they're, they're amongst my family. Mm. What were they like? Were they real characters in the industry or hard grafters? What were they like? Yeah, I guess they're, they're all hard workers. I'm Ted McAuliffe, my great... Grandpop, um, he passed away before I was born, so I never knew him. But um, mm. the my, my pop, um, he's still around. Graham was a senior, and, and my uncles and and his brother uh, brother Colin, they're they're still around. And you know they're all were very hard workers when they were around racing. And um, and then my dad's dad, um, Harold, he he was a trainer, and like I said earlier in in the interview, um, he. He worked very hard and instilled that into my dad. So mm. I think that's just one thing that I guess taken out of the family that they all enjoyed what they do, but they they worked hard at it and yeah. um, got some success. I, I read a quote from you um, from a few years ago, I think, where you described yourself as perhaps not the most talented jockey, um, but your work ethic um, and your determination have got you to where you are. Can you just explain what you mean by that? I mean, it, yeah. what is it that makes a, a, a talented jockey? What are the sort of attributes that, that go with that? I guess I probably meant more like natural. It didn't come to me straight away. Uh, I I taught myself how to ride. Like I said, when I first jumped on a horse, I'd fall off and jump back on. And um, I I had a desire to, to be as good as I could. So um, I would go out there and and study 
things I do wrong and things mm. that I could do better and study other writers and how they do do things their craft and and try and incorporate that into what I do and little tips and tricks along the way from from people uh, have just helped me progress as a writer and mm. I, I think I've just got better and and better with with the experience that I've taken from from each moment. Yeah, and, and again, forgive me if this is a, a stupid question or an offensive question, but again, to those outside of, of racing, they might form a view that um, you know it's it's mostly the work of the horse, uh, and perhaps don't appreciate the skills uh, that you guys bring uh, to race racing as well. I mean, if, if you had to sort of break down, how much is it the horse, and how much is it is it you? I wouldn't again. Be able, apologies yeah, if that's, that's an offensive question, but no, 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 yeah. that's fine. I, I wouldn't tell us how it I works. wouldn't know a percentage breakdown, but I did read. Yeah. Uh, I think Gay Waterhouse once quoted, uh, "It's ninety percent the horse and ten percent the jockey." So, right. um, as a jockey, it's, <laughs> do, do you it's agree extreme, with that? <laughs> oh, probably is. You know, it's it's extremely hard to get a slow horse to to run faster than than yeah. what they can. But uh, we, uh, I guess, you make up that that extra difference there, where you know you can. You can get them beat by by an error that you make in a race tactically, or or you may make the right choices. And uh, especially in a finish, you might be able to extract more out of a horse, encourage them. So there's that little percentages towards uh, improving a horse, you know, at the finish. And yep. sometimes there's only millimeters in between the difference between a first and second result. So yeah, we we do make a difference. Um, but like I said, it's you can't make a slow horse run fast. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we, we're out there just to make that, that little difference there. And hopefully uh, if if we can uh, get the the difference between, you know, just getting beat or, or getting the result, that's that's mm. what we are out there to achieve. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before how competitive you must need to be uh, to succeed at your level. Uh, your two brothers are also heavily involved uh, as jockeys as well. That competitiveness, that rivalry, you know, which you see play out in so many families, but it must be really at the at the sharp end in your family when you're competing against two of your your siblings. Yeah, that's um, a, that's an extreme brotherly rivalry there. Yeah, obviously, once the barriers open and and we're in competitive mode, um, we're all out there to to achieve the best that we can for for our horse and. Um, we, I, we wouldn't go out there and say, oh, you know, that's my only mm. thing to beat my brother. You know, we're out there to beat everyone else out there too. But it it does, I find, drive us uh, when you know one of us is doing really doing really well. That you know you want to try and I guess grab onto the tail and and try and be as successful as they are. So we we have been able to f- manufacture a way to to improve each other that in that manner. Um, yep. and, and off, off the track, we can be very supportive for each other as well. So, you know, if, uh, I was able to help the younger brothers being, being the oldest, um, develop through their, their careers. Uh, they would, would talk about things. Um, similarly now they're very experienced and, and I can go back to them and, mm. um, bounce off them. If, uh, I, I need some advice too, you know. So we we can work uh, together as a team off the track, but on the track, um, it's game on. It's game on, yeah. yeah. So, but and, and and be honest, is it is it extra sweet when you beat your brother in a race? Well, 
you probably don't want to run second to them, but if you run second to anyone, it's 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 okay to run second to them. But it does feel better when you when you beat them. And yeah, we, what's we, the banter like then after you you've just come out of a race against one or both of your brothers? I mean, does it how often does it happen where you actually do race one or both of your brothers? Oh, most races that we compete really? in, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we, we get lots of rides, and you mm. know we're we're in competing against each other all the time, so. Yeah. Yeah, there's and there's been times where we have trifected the race, mm. and um, unfortunately, I haven't won any of those. So <laughs> I want to. I'd like to do that one day, win the race with the other two brothers running second yeah. and third. But you know, I I'm proud of what what they've done. They've been very successful yeah. riders as well. So yeah, we we um, we enjoy riding against each other, but we enjoy seeing each other succeed. Yeah. But enjoy beating each other exactly. as well. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me about that extraordinary day back in, in April of 2017, where you all managed to ride winners within hours of each other, but in three different states around the country. Yeah, I don't. I won't forget that day because that was the day I rode my first uh, winner in Victoria. Um, it was at Caulfield uh, for a horse that my dad trained, uh, called Malibu Style, and. Um, I think Brad might have ridden a winner earlier prior to, to my race. And um, then I, I was in the mounting enclosure not long after. And I think it was only minutes later, Chris rode the winner in Adelaide. So mm. it all happened really quickly. I wasn't able to watch Chris's race at the time. But uh, I guess at the time, you don't really think of it much of it. But then mm. when people talk about it and... I think they were going back to see if that had ever been done before with three different brothers in three different states on on the same day, and I don't know if it had been, but yeah, it was a pretty good achievement for the family. I Absolutely, think. and you know, mum and dad would have been pretty proud to to have all of our boys, the mm. boys, to um, go out there and do something like that. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Um, just going back to your, your childhood, um, was that rivalry there, that competitive spirit between you guys there? you know, around the house when you're playing backyard cricket or whatever you're doing? Uh, I guess so. We probably, you hear of stories of our brothers punching up and, mm. yeah, we weren't really that, that bad with each other. We were, we were a bit nicer to each other, but, but we enjoyed just playing with each other, uh, mm. keeping the footy, like I said, cricket, whatever. Me and Brad were closer in age, only three years apart, so we grew up doing a lot of things together. Chris um, is... 12 years younger than me, nine years younger than Brad. So we were a little bit older when, when he was um, he was a child. But, uh, yeah, we were, we'd muck around and probably get up to a little bit of trouble together. But, you know, it was yeah. it was all a bit of fun. Yeah, and it's all on you with, as the oldest brother. Well, yeah, <laughs> the buck <laughs> you stops with me. I was, exactly. I was a responsible one, so, yep. <laughs> as much as you can be, anyway. Uh, this is Inspiring Stories. Stephen Parnham is our special guest. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest in this episode uh, is champion jockey Stephen Parnham. Uh, Stephen, you're in your mid-30s now. You've been riding now for, well, over half your life uh, professionally. If you had to stop tomorrow for whatever reason, what would you do? It's a good question. I'd 
I mean, hopefully I'm a bit that stuck, doesn't yeah. happen. I'm a bit stuck <laughs> at the moment. I um, hopefully don't have to get to that point at, at any time soon. But yeah, yeah, like I always thought, perhaps going to training um, could be could be an option. Dad obviously went went mm. that avenue, and um, it, it it appealed to me when I'm you know he's younger, and, and I probably want to keep being a jockey for. a Bit, bit further bit into my career, but yeah, I I did continue schooling and and started uni and yeah. just as a a fallback there. But um, hopefully, you know, I haven't really had to explore that avenue. Mm. Um, you're a graduate of of, of my old school, uh, Trinity College. Um, what sort of a student were you? Were you sort of? I mean, because I know at Trinity you can sometimes hear the horses thundering around Gloucester Park. Slightly different horse racing style to. To what you do, but I mean, were you sort of one ear on the hearing the horses going? Well, I'd rather be over there. Um, were you a pretty dedicated student as well? Yeah, oh, I, I went to school. I wanted to do well at anything I did, you know. So yeah. I, I, I tried to be be a good student. Um, I was very quiet and shy, you know, sort of in the background a bit. So just went there, did my thing. Um, I, I began uh, my apprenticeship as a jockey through year eleven. So I was merging school and, and mm. riding at the same time. And um, people, including teachers or students, would be all at me about, you know, who's going to win the next race and trying to <laughs> trying to see if I if I knew knew anything. But um, Get a bit of inside knowledge. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> yeah. um, 2020 has been a, a, a freaky year in so many ways. Um, what about for people in the horse racing Industry. I suppose we've been lucky here that we haven't been as affected as other parts of the country and other parts of the world. But how has 2020 changed the way you uh, go about training and then go about racing and preparing for race days? Yeah, we we certainly had to make some some uh, protocols in place for us. Uh, we we divided the the jockey ranks into two teams: a red team and a blue team, and I had to volunteer um, to go into the blue team, which was very put very strict um, policies on on what we could do. We basically were in a makeshift jo- jockey's room, and we weren't allowed to interact with other racing people apart from you know the trainers. But we still had to keep our social distance, and mm. yeah, it was it was very odd. That was the crowds disappeared. Um, we weren't we were racing basically. Like yeah, it's there like was just nothing run. there. Yeah, yeah. like what, it what, was. what was that like? That must be odd. I mean, are you are you really aware of the crowds lining the track when you when you're racing? Does it give you a bit extra? Yeah, definitely. The big race days at Ascot, um, it inspires you. You, know, you get you get your adrenaline going and mm. you're ready to go for the the big big meets. But um, we were obviously forced to adjust to it. Uh, at first, it was a little bit odd. You you then become custom to it and you know that was just the normal but when you when you're racing you probably don't know what's going on because you you're in amongst a, a a race with just your your colleagues next to you and and all that but you know it was just the before and after that that was very odd and, and the owners weren't there and mm. to share in the the excitement of winning or um that sort of part of it so it did take a little bit of the enjoyment from from racing but at the same time how lucky were we to keep going and yeah, absolutely. other people weren't. So we we did put all the, the policies in place to to protect us as an industry and I think we did an amazing job to 
to avoid anything, you know, breaking us down. And mm. and we kept continuing. Um, it was all uh, the the welfare of the horse was also, you know, of a high importance. You know, they couldn't just be be put away on the side. And everyone they still had to be cared for and looked after. And, and they're they're highly strung animals, so they need to race and or, or be active. And um, so everything just luckily worked out for us, and and we're able to continue. Yeah. What about your plans for the months ahead? Um, obviously, you've you've been in, in previous years to the the eastern states to ride over there. That's all on hold for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's a bit too difficult to get at at this stage um, with the travel border restrictions. But looking forward to the carnival at Ascot that's coming up. It's not too far away, and got some exciting horses that mm. are that heading that direction. So. Fingers crossed it could be a good carnival and, mm. and try and get a, another Group 1 winner. Yeah. Uh, and I know you're a dad now as well. Is, is the famous Parnham family uh, pedigree in, in horse racing going to continue through the next generation? I don't know. Um, the the two boys love watching it and yeah. going to the races and, you know, they, they um, see me on the fence there and, you know, probably similar to what I was like when I was a kid. So they, they haven't ridden a horse or been that involved into it yet so see what path it takes whether they um what sort of their body develops you know if they they get too big to be a jockey but yeah um they're into their sports they're athletic and that and uh who knows their, their mum i don't know if their mum no was that keen on their them being a jockey you know so right no she she thinks it's crazy so <laughs> well well she married one so she should know <laughs> yeah so no, i think she'd prefer them to, to stay with two feet on the yeah. ground how would that go down if the uh if the famous lineage ended ended with your kids no oh, <laughs> it's up to them you never pressure them i was never pressured into it so yeah they'll either get the bug and and go down that way and and um i'll support them but, but if they've got another passion yeah. then that's the way it goes you must have put them on a horse by now though yeah oh they've been on a pony that's about it you know um mm. oh they've sat on the back of a horse but not not big enough to ride them yep. by themselves yet do you have a do you have like a, a recreational horse that you just sort of just you know head out to a paddock and have a leisurely ride around or when you're not racing you just you don't want to you don't want to hear a horse. You don't want to see a horse. You don't want to talk about a, a no. horse. Do you have to switch off from it completely? Yeah. No. Well, it's hard to switch off it from it. But um, no, I don't have time for for a recreation <laughs> horse. We're on them every day at the track work training, and um, then we got race days three or four times a week. So yep. there's not a lot of time to mm. fit in a recreational horse. Yeah. True. They are work, aren't they? Yeah. So in terms of your goals going forward, you know, as I said, you've had an extraordinary level of success to date. Uh, you can't keep riding forever. Um, what If you could, you know, just write a couple more winners, what would they be? Where would they be? What would it mean to you? Yeah, there's a few races left in WA that I would love to win, um, being one being a Perth Cup, mm. um, prestigious race, and, and the railway stakes, um, I haven't... Haven't been able to win that either. I think that's the hardest handicap in, in WA to win. So those two definitely on the radar. If I can uh, capture one of those, I'll be um, very proud of that. And uh, maybe also if I was lucky enough to go to Victoria and, and win a major race there of a Group 1 status, that that would put a big feather in my cap. So yeah. um, th- those sort of things there. But... You know, you're always out there trying to find the next horse that's capable of it. Yeah, no worries. I'm sure you'll find it. 
at some point and hopefully in Victoria again, hopefully in front of crowds over there. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed yeah. things uh, go well uh, in Victoria. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen, for coming in and sharing your inspiring story. We appreciate it. Thank you and all the best uh, for the months and years ahead of you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.